We are in the final week of what we have been doing together. In fact, it's really kind of cool. If you look at this unified, what they're calling a unified sermon series, over these last four weeks, 72 churches scattered throughout the Metro Charlotte area have been participating in the same sermon series or same message series, although every pastor kind of tweaks it and makes it, makes it his own. But at least um, the core essence of the message of this morning's topic and even the previous topics have been covered. And I think that's quite amazing if you think about it. In fact, they estimate some over 41,000 people have heard the same type or similar message. And that's pretty cool, I think, don't you? The last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be for the gospel, for the church. And this morning, we're going to examine what it means to be for our city. The scripture that we're going to kind of hover over is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. Specifically, we'll kick off with verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You see, God's people are God's plan to share God's purpose, and that's Jesus for our city. And I say that again because I think it's very important. It's kind of the big idea this morning as we kind of examine the text this morning. God's people are God's plan, meaning that each one of us is not only called by God, but we're going to get into one of the points we're sent by God to share the purpose, and that's Jesus for our city. So this morning, my goal is to convey the centrality, the focus of God's heart for the people who live in our city, and that's each one of us. The church must be for Charlotte, and again, that, that word is really held loosely because we come from many different areas of the metro area. Because God is making his appeal to the city through the church. That's always been his plan. That's how he works. If we truly believe that God is a difference maker, if we believe that God is a strength to the weak, if we believe that God brings hope to the hopeless, we must not only attend church, but we must be the church. And I say that again because I think it's important. What I want you to realize, there's a difference between attending church and being the church. Recent findings reveal that there are some 1 million people in the greater Charlotte metro area that do not have a relationship with Jesus. That's quite significant. God's number one plan for reaching those people is sitting in, the, in this room today. And I want you to think about what does that mean? It means that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. If over 1 million people have no relationship with Jesus. So if you stop there for just a moment, when the word church comes up in conversation... The first thing we think of is a building. We have the mindset that church is a place we go to on Sundays. In fact, I remember growing up as a young child and, and going to church, and my mom would say, hey, we're going to church. What did that mean for me? That meant that I got out of my grubby clothes and I kind of put on something presentable and looked nice, and that also meant that I would have some type of flannel board type of a picturegram type of teaching in Sunday school, and then we moved to big church, which I would be honest with you, at that age, I was bored out of my mind, <clears throat> right? And then we'd go home, and my mom would make Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. And my brother and I would fight over the one that's in the center. It doesn't, it doesn't taste any different in the center, but we thought it did, and it was a big issue. But that's what going to church meant for me. And what I want to do is to challenge you to think about it a little bit differently. 
You see, going to church is a little bit different because I believe this, we are the church. So what I want to do, and again, I've, I'm not too conventional in pretty, pretty much anything I do, and I'm not going to start today. So um, I want you just to humor me. I want you to repeat this after me. And the words are this, we are the church. Okay, let's do that together. We are the church. Now let's make that personal. I am the church. Let's do it. I am the church. Think about that. We are the church. Individually, you are the church. So here's the deal. Church and therefore Christianity to, to its whole gets compartmentalized when we see it as a place. We look at Sunday as the totality of the church experience. You see, when we see church as a building or place, our relationship with God tends to be something that only really takes place in that particular location. So it's when we come to church, when we come in these doors, that's when we sing, that's when we pray, that's when we open our Bibles. In fact, so many times within our lives, I've been guilty of this before in my life, is we come to church, and, the, and to be honest, the only time that I've opened that book was when I came on Sunday. And what I'm saying to you today is that going to church, if you are the church, if we are the church, individually we are the church, then it's not about the building, but it's about who you are each and every day and every moment of your life. You see, church should transcend building and day. If your faith exclusively exists in building or around or when it's surrounded by other Christians, you're missing the point of the very faith that you represent. And think about it. You, the church, are God's plan to share God's purpose, and that's Jesus. In other words, live it and tell it. And I say that in that order because I'm going to tell you that it used to be that we believed if we just shared who God was that people would understand. And anymore now, they want to see it before you tell them about it. Why? Because I'm going to tell you there's a big, huge part of our culture today that says I want what's genuine, I want what's authentic, I want something that's real. Don't just tell me. Show me. Show me how to live. Show me who God is in your life. Show me about the love that you talk about. Show me about that grace. We live it and we tell it. You see, we see God's people being the tool through which he made himself known to this entire world. We could today spend all the time talking about the different stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament of God using people. God's covenant with Abraham, Jesus' commission to the disciples. And even Paul, if you look at some of Paul's writings, in fact, most of Paul's writings, his words to the church, we were reminded that God's people are God's plan to share God's purpose. It's always been that way, and it always will be. Most of us are familiar with or at least minimally heard Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, it's easy to say, God has a plan for my life, a plan to prosper, to give me hope. But we don't know the context of that, that scripture, most of us, because we, we, we quote that scripture and go, yeah, God's, God's got a plan, and he does. But you see, Jeremiah 29, 11, just to give some, some backdrop, is written in the context of a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah. 
to the people who God, people of God who were exiled in Babylon. Now, if you read about the history, there's this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar. He had this incredible desire to expand his territory, to expand his kingdom. And this guy was not a good guy. Babylon was not a good place and God's people didn't want to be there. All they wanted to do was to go home back to Jerusalem. In fact, if you read around the context of our scripture, there's even people, they they called false prophets, and say, you know, don't worry about it, it's going to happen, you're going to get out, and all this kind of stuff. But as we read in Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7, it tells us a much different story, a bigger story of of what God is doing. So we'll pick up that story in verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He said, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. He says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now think about it. They were exiled. They were unhappy. They just wanted to go home. They, They didn't want to be there. And God says, stay here. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but when I don't like my situation, my location, the things that are happening to me, I ask questions, not always outside of my own self, but at least internally. I'm like, what are you talking about? In fact, I would say, what? Especially if we're talking about God's people, you would say, well, well God, you, don't you love me? Why would you do this to me? But what God is saying is, where you are, do your thing. He's not giving conditions and going, hey, I know you don't like it, and all this kind of stuff. He's saying, where you are, do your thing. So this morning, I want to use our text as the backdrop and hope to encourage you to love and influence those around you because that really is the mandate, the call, the central part of the gospel of Christ. Each one of us has been given relationships and places of influence. Each one of us has conversations, interacts with others so that we can not only benefit from the relationship with them, but they can benefit from the God that dwells within us, that we encourage them, that we inspire them. In fact, I want you to hold on to this word and that's called moments. God calls us to divinely inspire moments in people's lives so that they move from the place that they're at to where God has for them. Years ago, this whole moment kind of concept really kind of was ingrained within my life and my heart because I realized that throughout my journey of life, there were moments that moved me. Moments that transcended my circumstances. Moments that pierced through the moment of chaos in my life. Moments that all of a sudden spoke to this different part of who I was. And in those moments, they moved me from one place to another. And again, I'm not talking about a different location per se, but I'm talking about a different faith, a bigger faith, a deeper love, and a bigger understanding of who God is in my life. You see, I believe that God is positioning you for his purpose. In fact, we could say this. God has positioned you for his purpose. 
There may be days where Scott says, you know, I, I had just a horrible day at work. And I would say, even in the horrible day, God still positioned him. There may be days where, you know, Greg's sitting back at the lyric screen and he's saying, I don't want to do these lyrics because I have no idea where Chad's going to go today. He says, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to say that he's being positioned there because I need him to do what he's doing today, but because God positioned him there. And you can say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Maybe today there'll be a moment that he seals it up, not only within his life, but someone else's life. Moments pass like that. But I believe that every moment can and will be divine if you say God use me and that's what we're really talking about this morning you see God is positioning for his purpose think about it what God says to his people in Babylon this is the first point I sent you sometimes God puts you in places and positions you just don't want to be and I want you to think about that for a moment I don't like that that's not what I want to hear I use this word, when I say wow, generally wow like covers like sentences. When I go, like if I go, wow, that's generally like, are you serious? Like I could say a whole lot here, but I probably shouldn't. Sometimes you go, wow. <laughs> or I go, wow. That's like, whoa, crazy. That's so awesome. So it depends on the wow that you get. Use it. It works perfectly. I will say this occasionally, the other person, you go, you're like, wow. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, hey, you can interpret it. I better, best not. You can just quote me. I mean, seriously, and this, this would be me. I'd be like, wow. Are you saying that God puts me exactly where he wants me to be? And that might mean I don't want to be there. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying to you this morning. Remember, Jeremiah 29, 4, it says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captive, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Wow. Two simple truths. Just because something is easy doesn't mean it's God's will. Think about that for a moment. Just because something is easy doesn't mean it's God's will. Can I tell you that I'm guilty of this all the time? I, I absolutely, I could eat, really doesn't matter, any Asian, Asian type of food, Chinese food, I love Japanese food, hibachi, I, anything. But I could eat that breakfast, lunch, dinner, and in-between snacks every day. So, you know, and some people say, you probably shouldn't have that every day. But if traffic is really smooth and easy to the, my favorite restaurant, does that mean God wants me there? <laughs> you don't do it too. Come on. But what I'm saying to you is this. Just because something is easy doesn't mean it's God's will. Sometimes God will part the Red Sea and say, are you going to do it or not? Because I think it's not smart for you to do that every day. Maybe God is saying, you know what? Use some wisdom, Chad. Do you understand how much salt you're putting in your body? And I say, yes, but it tastes so good. Just because something is easy doesn't mean it's God's will. Second truth is this, just because something is hard doesn't mean you're outside his will. 
And I'll tell you, I've got that one all messed up too. I've erroneously not only thought, but the church over, and I'm not saying hope, but I'm saying the church in general has taught that when you're in the center will of God, that everything will be perfect. It is the most beautiful sunset and the flowers are flowering and they're doing whatever they do and the bees are buzzing. I don't know, but it's just this beautiful picture. But what I'm telling you is sometimes you can be smack in the center of the will of God and it's all chaos and craziness. What's the deal with that? That's when I go, wow. Truth is, God can use your difficult circumstance for his purpose and plans. Don't you love, you you ever going through a tough time and someone quotes scripture to you, you're like, man, you're like horrible time. Hey, God's got a plan for that. You know what I want to say is, Wow. I mean, I'm going to be serious with you. That's what I mean. It's like sometimes, you know, anyway, I, just, I won't say everything I'm thinking, but, you know, I'm just like, stop. I want to hear it. I, I know. Just, just let me, let me kind of waller in my mess right now. Let me complain. Let me grumble here. Let me, let me just talk about where I don't sense God and I don't feel God and because I think he's abandoned me. But when you read Jeremiah chapter 29, it's easy to say, well, he's got a plan for your life and a purpose and a hope. But did you know before those same people that he said that to were in captivity and they were in exile and they didn't want to be there and they were being persecuted and they were in a complete mess. Wow. God can use your difficult circumstance for his purpose and plan, but here's the deal. God doesn't promise easy, but he does promise himself. That's good. God doesn't promise easy, but he promises himself You see, knowing that God has sent you makes a difference. It makes a world of a difference. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You're sent. The second point is to establish yourself. Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 6, it says, build homes and plan to stay. Now, to be honest with you, if, if, if someone said that to the place that I don't want to be and miserable, don't you know, it's all those things. I'm like, no. Why would I do that? They do, it just, it doesn't even seem, it doesn't even seem wise to do that. But he says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. In essence, what he's saying is settle down, plant roots where God has placed you. Stop working on your escape plan and know that God has a plan. So many times we miss the present because we're worried about the future. Sometimes we worry about today so much that we're, 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 we're kind of escaping what's going on and saying, right around the corner, when I, have you ever done this? When I get that, I'll be so much better. When I get my promotion, I'll be so much better. When I graduate from college, I'll be so much better. Can I tell you, I wish I could go back to college days. Those were great days. It's expensive, but great days. I would say the bills just get bigger. Responsibilities get a little bit larger. But we're always, we're always looking around the corner. 
We're always trying to figure out the next plan, the next step. What God is saying is build relationships where you are. Invest in the community. Be salt and light here and now. Establish yourself. Get busy right where you're at. The third point is this. Seek the welfare, welfare of the city and others. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now I want to stop there because I think there's something that's very significant that I believe is easily overlooked or even missed completely. Many of you, many of you are familiar with the word shalom or peace. In fact, the, the Western definition of this would be, we would define peace as the absence of conflict or absence of war. But in the Hebrew language, it means so much more. Shalom is taken from the root word shalom, which means to be, to be safe in mind, body, or estate. In fact, it goes in further. It says to be complete or whole. There's a fullness type of it, a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back. Why? Because it's overflowing. And I use this example. If you were sitting in a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes to you, the person serving you, is, and for the moment is, comes and says, would you like some more water? And you, and you said, yes, please. And they took that, that pitcher or whatever they call it, the water, and they begin to pour it. What, what do they do? They kind of top it off, right? They give you a little bit of room at the top. But what if that person said, yes, please, could I have some more water? And they just decided to pour everything they got and it just overflows. One, you would be like, what are you doing? That would be another, whoa, moment. But what I'm saying to you is this is what shalom is. It's overflow. It's fullness. It's not just almost. It's complete. True Biblical shalom refers to an inward sense of completeness or wholeness. Can I be honest with you? I don't feel that way very often in my life. And I was preparing this message. I'm like, wow, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You see, it can describe the absence of war or absence of conflict. In fact, the majority of biblical references refer to an inner completeness and tranquility, and that's exactly what we're saying today. In fact, in Israel, or at least in the Jewish culture, when you greet someone or you say goodbye, what do they say? Shalom. And I've always thought that it's like, it's like, I thought it was like what we do. Hey, what's up? So what do the guys do? What's up? What does that mean? And you know what the response is, typically guy? What's up? We don't even answer the question. What's up? What's up? And we just move on. <laughs> you ladies, you wonder, I just don't understand them. Think about that conversation right there. You're not going to. <laughs> we don't even answer the questions. Where's ourselves. What's up? What's up? We move on. We don't care. But when someone says, Shalom. You're literally saying, may you be full of well-being. May you, your health and prosperity be upon you. It's different. And I'm not sure what's up means that. I'm not even sure hello means that. But if I was to go to someone and say, shalom, and that, and that was that understanding is within me, and that understanding is within them, what they're saying is, 
fullness and life and completeness, blessings upon you. And you know what the response is? The person says, Shalom. This challenges me to look at others and even myself differently, to be honest with you. Because I believe that we are really good at being shallow and we are really good at being on the surface. But I believe that God has called us to be much more. Matthew 5, 9 says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Do you know I've, I've preached on this particular passage so many times, but now I understand that that peace and being called the children of God has so much more meaning. You see, in this verse, Jesus is not referring to mediators or political negotiators because we know there's not much peace in that kind of profession. But to those who carry an inward sense of the fullness of safety that is only available through the sonship of God, the completeness, the fullness that I'm talking about is only available when you truly connect to the source and that is of God. You see, in the biblical Hebrew understanding of shalom, there's a point at which you have so much, and again, it goes back to that analogy, so much shalom that it spills out from you and is repaid or rendered to others. Have you been around somebody that's just so happy and so full of joy, and you come into their life and you're like, hey, you know, you're all gloomy, and they're like, hey, what's going on? And at first, you're like, I gotta be around this person, a little happy, happy, happy person. And then eventually you spend more time around them. Like, you know what? I'm okay. That's what they're saying today is this, that when we have so much of Christ in us that it spills out that peace, that that completeness, that fullness. That is truly how we impact our city. That's how we impact our relationships. That's how we impact the places that we go. As you make others peaceful, we can use that word, and inwardly complete, not because of who you are, but because of God that dwells within you, that makes you what? A peacemaker. It does. And you think about that scripture. What did that scripture say? God blesses those who work for peace. You got to be working for peace every day. Why? For they will be called the children of God. You see, Jesus said these peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Jesus was called the son of God. By sharing God's uncontainable peace with others, we become just like Jesus. And it's climate today, and again, we, we saw some of the statistics on the screen. Do you know that Charlotte, and they, they mentioned this, Charlotte is the number one city for millennials. It doesn't take long to to go out to restaurants or go downtown or go anywhere. In fact, you think about it, even in the state of North Carolina, but particularly the city of Charlotte, because that's what we're talking about, how many campuses and universities are here? Apartments are being filled to capacity. They can't even keep up because of the millennial growth within our city. What does that mean? It's a huge part of the mission of Christ within Charlotte. But in a climate like today, so divided, so polarized, we need some peacemakers. See, the truth is this. It's hard to hate when you choose love. It's hard to hate when you choose not to retaliate. It's hard to hate when your desire is for, as we've used this word, shalom. In essence, we're saying peace, my brother, peace, my sister, peace to you. 
You don't have to. Do you know this? I mean, I, I can settle most of our disputes today if we would just listen to just a basic statement and implement some common sense. We don't have to agree. But I do believe we have to walk together. We don't have to agree, but we should love each other. It doesn't make us enemies. We have differences. You, I like Miracle Whip. You may like mayonnaise. Does that mean we can't be friends? And I know, I know I'm using the goofy analogy on it, but what I'm saying to you is, does it matter? Because in the end, isn't the goal that we're all children of God? Peace to my enemies. Peace to those who speak against me. Speak peace to the person, your coworker that you just, you just don't like. Truth is, it's hard to hate when you pray for those who hurt you. Think about that. It's hard to hate when you pray for those who hurt you. You see, you cannot have Jeremiah 29, 11 without the rest of Jeremiah. You can't. Remember, I have a plan for you. What he was saying is, even though you're there, I still got you covered. Even though you don't want to be there, I'm still with you. Even though you want to leave, I want you to build there. Why? Because that's where I placed you. See, God's plan for your life is connected to God's plan for others in your life. We could say it this way, we're better together. That's why I believe that so much. We truly are better together. Why? Because God's plan for your life is connected to God's plan for others in your life. We're connected. You can't separate them. You see, I believe that we will not experience God's plan for our church until we engage in God's purpose for our city. And what does that mean? It means for each one of us. We said we are the church. You said I am the church. God's people are God's plan to share God's purpose. And that's Jesus for our city. So what does that look like? What does that look like? And I want you to think about this. And we've, we've, we did something this morning that we're going to do. Um, Again, in the second service. When I graduated from North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, those of you that are above the age of 23, 24, 25, you graduate from college and you think you know everything. And I had all these job interviews and you know, in Michigan and some other major cities. And even had a person call me from Hawaii. I didn't take that job. I'm really wondering why I didn't at this point in my life. <laughs> it's another story. Because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to change the world. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do it. And um, this pastor from Oklahoma kept calling me. It's kind of where you hear the southern 
part of when I talk. Eight years in Oklahoma will do it to you. Um, and he kept calling. He said, you need, you need to come down here. I'm like, where are you located? And he told me, if you've ever been in Oklahoma, it's right, it's right between, I love Oklahoma, it's right between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And I literally, seriously, had to get a big, you know, the big road maps. You know, we don't, we just use our phones now, but the big road maps. I'm like, okay, tell me where you're at. And he's like, well, you follow the turnpike, and, you know, and he's explaining, and you go south. And then I'm like, that's where you're at? I'm like, not interested. It, it was just this little hole in the wall. I mean, it, we, had, we had one stoplight until the semi-truck driver took it out, and then he put back a stop sign. But it was surrounded by Oklahoma City and, you know, um, anyway. And he kept describing his church. And I'll be honest, I thought the pastor was just completely like a liar because he would describe his church. We got this and we're doing this and we have a gym and we put in these uh, wood floors. The same guy that did it, OU, did it here. And I'm like, send me photos, please. He sent these photos. I'm like, he's going to his friend's church in the city and taking photos and sending it to me. Speed the story up. I got on a plane and flew out to Oklahoma City. Beautiful state. And I remember pulling up in the driveway of this church in the middle of nowhere going, whoa. Remember, whoa, whoa. That's a beautiful church. It's a huge church. And here's what I thought. I'm like, maybe, maybe you're doing some of the things you said you're doing. Spent a few days with him, and he was doing everything he said he was doing. But what he didn't have was a ministry to the students who were right across the street from him. He was right across the street from the high school. They had about six teenagers. And he said, I want to bring in someone out of the vision to change the city touch this city and to get those students to understand and know that God loves them I'm like I like that but I didn't like there I got on the plane and I really was arguing with God and you know when you ever had that argument with God I'm like God I'm not going to Oklahoma just to be clear Weeks later, probably eight weeks, ten weeks later, I'm driving a U-Haul up the turnpike, Chandler, Oklahoma, headed towards Meeker, between Meeker and Shawnee. There are more cows than people. This is the place, again, where farmers, they, 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 the coyotes bother their herds, so they put the coyotes' heads on the fence posts. And again, don't be mad at me. I'm an animal lover. I got upset about it, too. I didn't understand. I mean, that's, that's where this place is. And I'm like, God, this is, is this a joke? Like, I could have gone here and here and here, and you send me to this place? Can I tell you that I was, I, I literally, like, thought, can, can I, like, what would happen if I just, like, turned around and just went back? I was living in New Jersey then, right outside New York City. Like, this is not me. Like, I tell you, for the first four years, maybe six, eight, ten, you know, we'd do a special pizza night. Well, they, they would, teenagers come for pizza. They would show up for that. But I didn't count that. 
about four years, what I would do is I'd take my Excel sheet and any teenager or young adult come in the door, I'd, I'd type in their name and I'd put a little X there. I'd say, well, they came and I'd know eight and six and seven and 10 and, you know, 12, yay. But something happened at the end of the fourth year mark. I still have these files, 42 and 60 and then 80 and then 110. 135, 160, and so on. Can I tell you that if I left through the first one, two, three, and four years, I would never have known what would have happened. Can I tell you that I, I, I moaned and groaned and complained that entire time. I didn't like it there, but I loved the people. So what I'm saying to you today is this, that maybe God has put you, in fact, I use a maybe kind of sarcastically. Maybe he's put you exactly where you're supposed to be. Maybe he's positioning you for something incredible and divine. You see, for us to love people and to impact our workplace, our schools, our professional areas, our lives, our families. We got to quit looking for the future and just say, God, I'm building. I'm sent. I'm going to root in and establish myself. And I'm going to begin seeking the welfare of my city, my friends, my family, my school my workplace, whatever it may be. Because God has called each one of us. As the worship team kind of comes forward, here's kind of how I want to illustrate it this, this morning. If you live in the city of Charlotte, I want you to stand. If you live in the city of Charlotte, I want you to stand. If you don't, just stay there for just a moment. Our worship leader lives in the city of Harrisburg. Do we classify the city or as town? Town of Harrisburg. If you live in Harrisburg, stand. Some of you are like, who are these people? I'm gonna let you know. I'm picking on them just because they're easy to pick on, and you know, I didn't ask your permission to do this, so um, they knew it was coming at least somewhat. I think lives in the town city of Concord. If you live in Concord, stand. He's in the town or city, because I don't know. Davidson. Matthews. Charlotte. I got to look for you. Kannapolis. Okay, if I've covered these, make sure you're standing. Just in Concord. Now, who do I have sitting? Where are you from? Lincolnton? Wing it. Yeah, I didn't expect that. Go ahead and stand. I know, hey, you guys should be impressed with me. I'm not from here. No, I know Lincolnton. Hey, an incredible recording studio in Lincolnton. Back here, where are you from? Monroe. Monroe. Go ahead and stand up. Where are you all from? There you go. Stand up. Where are you guys from? Mint Hill. Sorry, guys. I don't want to put you on the spot. Where are you from? Where? 
Winston-Salem, college students, right? Where are you from? Same, okay, Stan. College students will get from about pretty much everywhere. I know I got some in the back, way back here. Hold on a second. I want to see faces of who I'm talking to. All right, where are you from? There you go. Now, I know there's not too many people that are going to claim that, right? But here, listen. Do I got everybody? Right in the back. Just, you don't have to stand unless you want to, but tell me where you're from. Say it, say it loud. There you go. One more. Ohio. Welcome. I watched the game yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. Did I get everybody? How can you not love our city? And you can say, well, we're from different cities. It's just geographical borders, right? And here's why I say this. How can you not love our city? Because the truth of the matter is we're all human beings, children of God, trying to figure out life. And we put so many other borders and barriers. You know, you know it's, just, it's just crazy. And what I'm saying to you is this. We're all the same. And it's about time that we get to understanding what shalom means. Guys, I want to challenge you, honestly. Let's quit the what's up. I'm going to really have to work hard at that. I'll be honest with you. It's going to be tough for me. I'm good at it. But what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to look at the person I'm talking to. I'm going to grab their hand. I'm going to shake their hand. I'm going to say, how are you? same you know I don't want to make a stereotypical response to say that guys are just like that because I think that we can all be really good at surface stuff remember I keep saying this we're better together we are and if you look at it this way each one of us represents a piece of the city right metro area others outside of it wherever what city the state all part of who we are an individual part of the entire whole, you could say maybe a piece of the pie. And what I'm saying to you today is this. This is a local church. This is who we are. God has sent us. He's called us to be established. And he's called us to seek out the welfare of our city. So what does that look like? Together, we can and will make a difference. So you could say, well, what do I take home? What do I do? I'm going to be honest with you. Part of what Pastor Mike and myself and leadership in this church is figuring out is how do we truly impact the city? We don't want to just do stuff to do stuff. We want to do the things that God has called us to do. And we're wrestling with that thing. But I'm going to tell you, that means that you're going to have to get involved even more. Because we can say, hey, we feel like we want to do this. And so, yay. And then no one shows up. And then we go, whoa. But what we're saying is, we got to figure that out. How can we seek the welfare of the city? How can we seek the welfare of the city? And I want to pose a question to you. How can you? I'm going to believe that God's going to start putting something on your heart. We had something happen during the first service that I think was an incredible thing, a, a testimony, a confirmation. But in essence, what he said was this, that I have been not happy 
doing the things that I was doing. And, and again, I'm paraphrasing, even saying, God, why? But he was saying, is, I'm not going to look at that anymore. I'm going to say, God, I'm moving forward. What are the needs of the city I live in? Where has God sent you? Where can you establish yourself? How do you, how do we engage the needs of our city? And that's really what it's about.